0: Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Fred, one of the pastors around here at Hillcrest. And as David mentioned at the start of the service, we're continuing our summer sermon series entitled, Tensions, Celebrating the Promise of And in an Either-Or World. Today, we're going to look at a kind of a familiar either-or belief and yet, we're going to lean into how with God, this concept lives squarely in the promise of and. And I hope that by the end, this, this helps you to look up to God and, uh, and, and find the peace and the hope and the comfort and the joy that we seek in our relationship with him. So you see, in our culture, this is essentially a works-based culture that we live in. Kids in school who work hard, who study a lot and get good grades, typically are rewarded with different accolades along the way. Uh, In our sports teams, those who work hard and and excel in their particular sport are often rewarded with things like stickers on their football helmet, or uh, a title of captain of the team, or best in the conference. And certainly in our employment and our work world, Uh, When we go to work and when we work hard, we're rewarded with things like a paycheck. And if we work really hard, sometimes we're rewarded with things like a raise or promotions along the way. And in all of those situations, and probably dozens of others that you can think of in our culture, when we don't work, when we don't perform oftentimes the results are quite a bit different, whether that be an F on the report card or being cut from the team or fired from a job. We live in a works-based world. Even in nearly all of the world's religions, reaching that, that final state, whether you call that heaven or paradise or something else, whatever you want that to be, that is dependent On enough good works in your life to actually earn that kind of reward friends it's only Christianity that teaches that that this salvation eternal life is a free gift from God through faith in Jesus Christ and no amount of work or effort is necessary in fact no amount of work is even possible to earn our way into heaven So as we go through this, I'd I'd like you to kind of keep an eye on the big idea, which is because we live in a works-based culture, it is easy to miss God's design for how grace and works come together in our faith and in our lives. For many years, as I grew up and, and even into my early adulthood, I thought that my salvation depended on my works. And to to be honest with you, for me, that wasn't so bad because I was born uh, the first of five boys in our family and I had some of the stereotypical firstborn traits where I seemed to be a little bit more mature and responsible than others as I grew up. And I remember at one point in time in in my adolescent life, as I considered this balance scale in my life, if you will, weighing my good works against the things that I had done wrong, because I was kind of the good kid on the block in a lot of ways, I I thought that I was in pretty good shape. In fact, I remember specifically one time thinking that I I probably had about a 75% chance of making it into heaven one day based on my good works versus my bad. But then as I started to read the Bible a little bit more, I learned that, that even I, even I, This good kid was nothing more than a lost sinner dead in my trespasses and sins. But I also learned that the only way to heaven was by grace, by by receiving this free gift from God through faith in Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter six, verse 23 is really a great verse to summarize all that I learned. It says this, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've heard this summed up in an expression that goes something like this Christianity is not about what we do, but it's all about what Jesus has done. And yet, there is tension in that the Bible speaks of works in the context of our faith and our salvation. You see, we have verses like Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 5, where Paul writes, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, meaning believing in Jesus, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's true faith. And we have that up against other verses like James chapter 2, uh, verse 14 and verse 17 James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And the implied answer that James is looking for is no, it does not save him. Verse 17 reiterates this. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's a dead faith. So, Here we have, we cannot earn faith by works, and yet faith without works is dead. And friends, in our either or world, this just simply does not add up. So let's lean into our marvelous God. Let's look up and celebrate this promise of how grace and works fit together in our faith. Now, I think as we begin this conversation, it's, it's going to be helpful to start at some of the extremes on both ends of this either-or tension, and then work our way towards this promise of and. On one side of this either-or continuum, we have a priority on works. Let's call that legalism. Legalism was something that was present even back in Jesus' time and some of the the religious leaders of the time. And Jesus made it a point to to really confront them about this. In fact, if you read Matthew chapter 23 sometime, you'll see that there are several uh, places where Jesus says, woe to you, you leaders. And he's really uh, preaching against their legalism directly. But even today, legalism still exists. And and even in some of our our current day church cultures, legalism is marked by things like pride and hypocrisy, guilt, shame, judgment, self-righteousness. Legalism is motivated by power and control over others. It's really an I do and I do not do because... I want to get something for myself, something in return. So that's one extreme of this either grace or works continuum. On the other side, we have a focus on grace. We often say that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this comes out of this very familiar Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast wow that is true indeed but this amazing grace if it is not fully understood becomes a veil in some cases used to cover up and excuse away ongoing and willful sin in our lives in fact, Paul addresses this in Romans chapters 5 and 6. It is true, as he says in chapter 5, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And, and, and that means that when there was more sin, there was more grace that was co- required to provide forgiveness of that sin. But then Paul warns against this simply be hiding behind ongoing sin behind this grace hiding behind this grace verse uh, one of chapter six he says what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound in other words should we keep on sinning so that we can keep on enjoying this abundant grace from god and he says by no means i think another translation says may it never be Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in World War II Germany and actually was ultimately hung for his outspoken criticism of the Nazis, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. In that book, right at the beginning in chapter one, he talks about what he calls cheap grace. Here are some excerpts now from chapter one. He writes, cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap Jack's wares. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Meaning that we look to God to be forgiven of the sin without looking at the heart of the person causing the sin. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Again, meaning that, yes, we preach forgiveness of sins without looking into the person and repentance for the sins that they've committed. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. My friends, I I offer some loving caution for you. If your faith is based solely on going through the motions, or if your faith is based solely on a prayer that you prayed when you were five years old, or if your faith is marked by belief without obedience, hearing without doing, or knowledge without change in your heart, Because you see, just as the legalism of of works will not forgive sin, neither will this veil of cheap grace. And that, my friends, is really the horror of looking at either cheap grace or legalistic works alone for salvation. And it points to the beauty of how grace and works come together to mark true saving faith. So let's move back now towards the end of this question. And begin with grace. And we turn back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer again. As, as he describes this kind of grace as costly grace. He says this. Above all it is costly. Because it cost God the life of his son. And he quotes the scriptures, ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. That, my friends, is costly grace. And when I hold up the wages of my sin against the image of of Jesus on the cross, suffering in my place, taking the punishment that I deserve for my sin, man, that wrecks me. And what we learned as we went through the book of Ephesians uh, over these last several months, what we learned about costly grace in that book Also, wrecks me. Paul writes a lot about costly grace in chapters one and in the beginning of chapter two. This costly grace that God chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. That God adopted me according to the purpose of his will. That he redeemed me through his blood. Forgiving my trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon me. Wow. Costly grace. He has given me an inheritance. He has sealed me with the promised Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that inheritance. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but God has made me alive together with Christ. Now that's grace, costly grace. And as he was writing Ephesians, this is the point now where he comes to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Let me read those again. He says, for by grace. And and here he's talking about this costly grace. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now many of you are familiar with these verses, and I I would I would bet that that some of you or many of you even have them memorized. But let me ask you this: what about verse 10? Do you know verse 10? Do you have that one memorized too? Because without verse 10, we can find ourselves, if we just read 8 and 9, we can find ourselves sometimes hiding behind cheap grace and a dead faith. It's verses 8, 9, and 10 that reveals how grace through faith By grace, through faith in Christ, God has made us into a new creation. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, the old has passed away. The old self is gone. Behold, the new, this new creation has come. By God's grace, we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece in christ jesus so here is the the and god has worked in us by grace for good works that we should walk in these good works as we live life with jesus good works are an outflow of god's work in us We respond to God's free gift of grace with things like like awe and reverence and humility. Being motivated by this precious gift to do these works which God has prepared beforehand for us to do. And there is one more layer deeper to this special relationship between grace and works. And for that, we turn to Philippians chapter 2. Let me read verse 12. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, some people look at that verse and they say, See, you have to do work in order to earn your salvation, but that is not saying that at all instead if you look at the context of where this verse comes if you look earlier in philippians chapter 2 you see that paul is again talking about costly grace as jesus became man and emptied himself he became a servant and he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death even death on a cross And Paul is saying that we should appreciate this invaluable gift. Receive it and treat it with fear and trembling. And use this gift for good works in our lives. Last weekend I took a trip to Stoughton Lumber and I bought a board. A a wooden board. But it wasn't an ordinary board. It was a costly board. And it was a beautiful board. I mean, this this board was was red cedar. It was one inch thick, ten inches wide, and twelve feet long. Such beautiful grain with a few knots interspersed. This, this board was baby bottom, smooth on one side and, and rustically rough on the other. Oh, it was a beautiful board. Now, this illustration breaks down a little bit because I purchased this board myself. I didn't get it for free. I had to work and purchase it in order to receive it. So let's pretend something here. I feel a little bit like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Let's go into the land of make-believe for just a few minutes And let's say that paul morrison one of our elders and the owner of the wood cycle of wisconsin had given this beautiful board to me for free let's just say that that paul had had caught that this that this board had cost paul a lot let's say some decades ago when he was a little boy he planted this tree by seed And he watered it and cared for it and protected it. And this tree grew and grew and grew. And then he went through all the effort to cut it down and and haul that trunk to his sawmill and cut it into rough boards and and then dry those boards and then bring them back out and, and plane them and sand them and get them ready. And after all of that costly effort, he presents me with this beautiful red cedar board for free. Oh the precious gift that that would be to receive from Paul. And yet Paul would certainly be disappointed if I took that board and I just simply laid it in my garage and allowed it to be covered up over the years by dust and other things in my garage. So back to reality here, instead of when I got that board from Stoughton Lumber, instead of just letting it sit in my garage, I took that board honestly with much fear and trembling. I took that beautiful, costly board and I worked out something very special. I built my dad a wood duck nesting box for Father's Day, gave it to him as a gift because my mom and dad they love to to watch and enjoy and feed these beautiful wood ducks down at their pond and i think that's what paul is saying here in philippians chapter 2 do something work this precious and beautiful and costly salvation that you have been gifted by grace through faith in jesus He's saying, work it, work out your salvation in your life. But now, watch this in this very next verse. These works that flow out of our salvation, (laughs) ultimately they are not really our works, but instead they are God's work in and through us. Let me read verse 12 again and then to verse 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This means that when I work really hard, It is God who's actually working in me to give me that desire and give me the the abilities and the strength to work. So when I work really hard to love, it is really God who is working in me to even give me the desire to love someone and give me the abilities and the strength to love. Love. When I show patience or hospitality or thanksgiving or forgiveness or compassion or care towards someone. It is really God who is working in me to give me the desire and the ability and the strength to do those good works. And as I grow in my faith, as I grow in finding peace and joy and hope in difficult times as I work hard towards more obedience, more humility, more contentment in my life, as I work out my salvation, it is God who is working in me to give me the desire to grow in my faith, to give me the tools and the abilities and the strength to do these good works and work out my salvation. So grace and works come together, both from God. (laughs) We cannot take credit for either one of them. And he calls us all to use the, the uniqueness of our gifts and the passions that we have to work, not only as individuals in our individual lives, but to come together as the body of Christ. This is what we mean when we talk about being the church. Whether we are together in person or dispersed throughout Dane County. We are called to be the church, to be ambassadors of this this gospel of reconciliation in this crazy and and evil and tension-filled world around us. So friends, as we consider our faith, and how grace and works come together in our faith. Let's not just do things to get things. Let's not hide behind cheap grace and a dead faith. But instead, let's, let's embrace this beauty of grace and works together in our faith. Pray, watch, and step out With this abundant life that Jesus came and died to give to us. And look around your world for ways in which you can see God work in your life and through your life to share this abundant life with others around us. Would you pray with me? Our Father, thank you so much for your amazing grace in this free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus and for the gift of your working in us and through us as we work out our salvation for your good pleasure. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.